Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast. Each week, your host, Casey Haston, Director of Recruiting at VIP, will bring you valuable insights from thought leaders, introduce you to incredible companies, and bring you tips for landing your dream job from our team of executive recruiters at VIP. And now, Casey Haston. Welcome to the We Are VIP podcast, a podcast devoted to adding value to your career or candidate search, brought to you by VIP. I'm your host, Casey Haston. I'm an executive recruiter, director of recruiting with VIP, and your all-around hiring guru. And you know, it is my desire each week to bring you amazing people that are gonna give you insight and influence into how to live your fullest life. And today, I have got a doozy for you. You are gonna love this guy. So today on the show, I'd like to welcome Chris Tuff, best-selling author of The Millennial Whisperer and Save Your Asks. Notice I said asks, okay? Chris's mission is to put an end to the crisis of disconnection, solve the problem of the great resignation and quiet quitting all at once, all while increasing productivity and of, of and ROI by bringing humility and humanity back into the business. Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Casey. This is going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited. I know. Before we get started, and you're going to have to help me with this, how did we get connected? You know, I do not know. But I can tell you one thing, Casey. After we got off our initial meeting, I went and I turned to... The, it was my, I think it was my wife that was in the other house. And I was like, that was so much fun. And I cannot <laughs> wait to be on this podcast. I know. Because it was like, you know, it's an instant, it was like an instant connection, right? Yeah. I mean, there was so much energy going back and forth. And I just think that, was it Frank Agan? Yes, that's who it was. That's exactly it. All connections lead back to Frank somehow. Yeah. It's yes. amazing. So, but anyway, I just, I love that. And I love that you were so open to that introduction and just really, you know, and as I'm working with young professionals and young executives, that's one of the things that I try to teach them is, you know, you need to be open to any connection because you never know where that connection is going to lead. And I love that you're already living that mindset and that you're just open and look what happened. We get to be best friends now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now, I mean, and I think there is, there's a massive disconnection happening right now. And I see it. I do about, I guess, a speech every week to many different types of organizations and, and audiences. And, uh, we we're missing this, right? There, the, it's a huge void that's happening that, I want to have just a small impact in bringing people back together again. And uh, what better way to demonstrate that than today with us? I know. And me too. I want to, you know, I talk about the collective whole all the time and we are meant to be connected. We are meant to have that interaction, you know, spirituality, whatever you want to call it, but we're not meant to be so separate from each other that we're miserable it's and mm. that's what causes us to be miserable so i love that you're working on that connectedness so first of all i have to ask about your glasses tell me about your glasses yes. so uh, people i talk about the importance of personal branding right which is um you know the statistic that was brought up to me by the woman that wrote my forward lydia finette lydia is the, one of the most amazing 
uh, women I've ever met. Um, she's the head auctioneer at Christie's. And she was the one that as we were going back and forth uh, around my book, Savior Asks, she said, um, so Chris, um, there there is a massive problem out there in that when I'm at these auctions and I'm sharing the stage with either Bruce Springsteen or Bruce Willis, you got to stand out, right? And then it comes time for us to sit around that table. And we've all been at that table at those networking events or the nonprofit. She said, Chris, only 5% of those people around the table are actually memorable. So what are you doing to set yourself apart? What are the stories that you're telling? And what are the questions that you are asking? And then also, you know, it helps with it with the whole appearance thing right and so i started off with white glasses and then ended up getting um graduating into the yellow glasses because my optimistic kind of viewpoint i want to bring light into every situation and conversation and connection i i love that so much i have a friend that in fact he just rebranded his company because he started wearing a red hat everywhere he went and so now his company, he rebranded it because everybody started coming up to him. They're like, I heard about the guy in the red hat. And you're, you were so easy to find because you were, he's tall, number one, but he had a red hat. He always wore a red hat. And um, so he renamed his company Red Hat Media. Yeah, I love it. I and love it. And, you know, and just to, you know, I t I'll tell audiences, like I didn't start off with ridiculous glasses. I, uh, I was, I actually, I had, when, cool socks you remember in like 2012 or so everyone was wearing like those super bright cool socks i'd invested in a company that actually ended up going under but i bought three thousand dollars worth of socks and so instead of giving away a business card i would actually give away a pair of these socks just for trialing right just to get people to try trial them and it was always like six months a year later that i'd be running into these people and they're like oh my gosh chris tough you're the sock guy. And then they, they, they go down and be like, I'm actually wearing them right now. Right. So just doing something different is so important. And then also these conversation starters, right. And, you know, whether it be my glasses or, you know, my tattoos, or I wear a lot of Jordan bright Jordan ones, it always breaks kind of that, that ice where people will go out of their way. Even this morning, I was meeting with a guy for, uh, for coffee and three people came by as we were meeting saying, I love your glasses. Like, tell me more about them. And then I'll bring my book up. I'm like, actually it's part of my brand. Right. And, um, so yeah, it, it is, it, it is kind of like that eye catching thing and also a representation of, we need more light in this world. We need more optimism and brightness. And what better way to capture that than bright yellow <laughs> makes me smile every time I see it. So right. for sure. So, okay, so before we get into the questions, I mean, there's a reason why you are qualified to speak on what you qualified. So tell me a little bit about yourself and your previous previous experience with work and stuff. Sure. Uh, I, a lot of speakers, it's interesting. I, as I talk to potential uh, companies that might hire me for a speech, I say there's generally two types of speakers out there, right? And there's the entertainers, right? The entertainers are the ones that have like climbed Mount Everest seven times and it's super entertaining and in the moment. But at the end of the day, when it comes time for like a Delta Airlines, what does this mean about selling more seats on, on airplanes, right? Like climbing Mount Everest. And then, you know, and so it's kind of like 
one and done. And then you've got the professors and the professors come in and they're super studious on all the statistics and everything. And they can tend, they tend to be a little bit boring and, um, but they don't have that tangible work knowledge. Right. And what I try to do is I try to bridge both of those worlds with using real data, up-to-date data, but then also memorable stories that people can walk away and implement immediately. And really a lot of that comes from my background and obsession with connection from the early days of social and digital media. I actually fell into what ended up being Facebook, um, working directly with the original kind of crew at Facebook and went from the 13th employee of a digital advertising firm. We, we grew to 500 and I really ran with that social media piece around bringing the world together and, and using these mediums to, to create more of that connection. And then it was off to the races and I had a failed startup then ended up at, um, where I left, uh, in January, a, uh, privately held, advertising agency that we grew to, I think we tripled in size. I helped really push us into the digital realm, uh, took us from 3% digital revenue to I think 87% when I left. And, um, I became the digital and social guy, but really the rainmaker. Right. Mm -hmm. And so companies would reach out to me and then I would court them and do the sales thing and then bring them in um uh with more business more of a business development role and that's 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 when I left was after obviously publishing my first book four years ago and I had to kind of go and spread my wings and fly to have the impact that that I have set a lofty goal around. I love that. And I, and I just want to point this out because you've said it twice. You just And you say it, you just throw it out there and you just go buy it. But you've said it twice that, like, I started a business, a sock business, and it failed. And then you just went on. But I gave away socks. And then you just talk, just again said, I had a failed startup with a smile on your face and went yeah. on. I think that is so incredible that you are, that doesn't seem to scare you at all, failure. Sure. And I have what I call my two hour rule. And you know, what the two hour rule is, is that you can't dwell on anything that doesn't go your way for more than two hours is in my boat, right? It's the name of the game. We live in a society of instant everything. And, and even if you look at some of the general generational differences that we're seeing between boomers, Xers, and really the younger millennials and Gen Zers, the younger you get, the more of an expectation that instant results are there. And one thing that I emphasize is that the two key characteristics to really break through and pursue these things that are in our passions and dreams, it takes a lot of tenacity and resilience. And that resilience muscle is best demonstrated by my two-hour rule. And I mean, it's actually what got me to write Save Your Asks because when I, ha I you know, sold 100,000 copies of The Millennial Whisper. I was speaking on stages at Nike, et cetera. And then the pandemic hit. And it was actually a phone call from the president of Nike's assistant called me. It was like, Chris, that speech that you're supposed to do in three weeks, we got to cancel it. The world's coming to a, you know absolute halt. And uh, we'll, we don't know when it's or if it's going to be rescheduled. And so I followed my two-hour rule. And I was like, all right. That stinks, right? And then I'm like, all right, what is the book that 
I don't know how long this pandemic's going to last, but what's the book that I was really born to write? Is it The Millennial Whisper and the Importance of Connection Internally? Probably not. Uh, the book that I was born to write was really around networking and sales. That's what most people come to me for. And I had done a guest lecture three years prior to that at Vanderbilt. And it was the highest rated guest lecture by the senior class. And it was the title of it was how to network like a mofo. <laughs> and I was like, there's the there's the foundation of it. And then I'll spend however long this pandemic lasts, I'll just interview the world's best networkers and I'll use it as an ability, you know, use it in my ability to connect with those people. And what I wrote the millennial whisper in four and a half months, and I had an amazing team of editors, including my older sister, Sarah. Uh, <laughs> and then for Savior Asks, I never wanted to end because I kept meeting new, amazing people from all walks of life, pro surfers, you know, billionaires and, and hardwood flooring entrepreneurs, right? And I was like, I don't want this to stop, but I got to bring this in for landing at some point. And so, the, you know, obviously the product is now what um, Savior Asks represents. So, um, yeah, it's been wild. But that resilience and tenacity thing, we, we've got to be able to bounce back from the things that fail. And I obviously am, um, I have a high appetite for risk, but I diversify myself in many different things to alleviate any one dependence on a single success, right? So I've got really six companies right now that are all at different stages. It's like, well, you know, a couple of these are gonna work. <laughs> you know, I think it's so interesting because typically you'll see that um, keynote speakers like yourself will kind of focus in on two, maybe three topics. And I'm, I'm gonna just look at this list here that I have of all the topics you speak on. So recruitment, retention, networking, leadership, company culture, sales tactics, multi-generational workforce, increasing lead conversion. So of all these topics that you cover, I'm curious, what seems to be the hottest topic people want to discuss right now and why? It's people's greatest pain point right now is retention and attraction. And um, that's that's the reality is 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 doesn't matter whether it's dental offices um you know optometrists uh health systems i just was actually brought into a health system with 36,000 employees most of them obviously nurses and 78% millennial and gen z and they called me because they googled um i guess they just googled who can help us with this millennial and gen z issue um, because they've got a 25% attrition rate. Mm -hmm. And so for each one of those, you can do the math pretty quickly, right? I mean, they're losing over a billion dollars in this turnover. And they brought me in to look at this stuff through a new lens. And uh, it, it was one of the most, um, one of those... I'd say 50% of my speeches, I get like teary eyed and goosebumpy, right? And which is special and uh, especially doing them every week. And this was one of those moments where I was able to, in a very short amount of time say, all right, listen, I went through your data. I, I then put it up against all of this research that here are three things that you can start implementing immediately that costs $0 that will take you that attrition rate down by 
at least a couple percentage points. And by the way, if it goes down three percentage points, I did the math, it's like $38 million in savings. <laughs> and and really, and and once again, doing it in an aspiring and approachable way that like you're not gonna have have an uh, a super deep impact and on a broad scale but what i tell audiences is just take two things from today that you're inspired around and implement them and see what it does right and that's where the magic happens so okay so we're talking about attracting and retention too and we've heard about this great resignation and this quiet quitting and you know and companies are really trying to find ways to attract and retain top talent. So I'd be really curious to hear what those three things were, or maybe if you can only share one or two that you said you can do right now and it cost you zero dollars. Sure. But also, what are the common mistakes have you seen that these companies are making? Well, uh, the, the thing I run up against the most is the mentality of, well, I had to do it this way. Why don't they? Right. And once mm. we kind of can get that out the you know out of the scenario it's like we've got to start adapting and i'm not saying that any one generation is right what i am saying is as humans we all have the same desires that we want to be loved accepted acknowledged and doing something that is meaningful in our day-to-day -day. what is it that our work is actually contributing towards right and so it comes down to the, the underlying theme of everything is connection, authentic, genuine connection. And the other big thing that has changed in the workforce, and, and there's a couple reasons why it's changed, but the expectation of both millennials, mid-millennials, so 35 and under, is that passions will be itched at your organization. Whereas like you talk to boomers and Xers, they're like, no, you go to the golf course on the weekend to itch that passion. That's what hobbies are for. But the younger you get, the more of that expectation is put is in place. And then the other thing is they're what they're craving from leadership is much more sure a boss, but much more a mentor and coach. Yeah. And and that comes from how a lot of these millennials and Gen Zers were parented because I love to use the juxtaposition of just a dinner table conversation. And for me, I, I'm right on the, I'm 42 years old. I'm right on the cusp, but I had a very British um, authoritarian father growing up. And when I sat down at the dinner table, it was Christopher, how are your grades? Are they good enough for the best schools? Uh, you know, what is it that you're thinking about working towards, right? It was very authoritarian. It was, it was like basically get in line, right? You juxtapose that to especially mid-millennials, 35 all the way younger to the Gen Zers now, 25 and younger, and they're out with their parents playing beer pong, ripping on a jewel, talking about who they hooked up with and like what's going on in their personal life. And what happens is then when these young people come to our organization, they're looking to you with that same parental figure. and. They're craving that interpersonal connection that they had with their parents. And the other big contributing factor to all of this is, is social media, right? And there, there is a reality to the fact that social media has made a more needy generation, right? So rewards and recognition is much more important to millennials and Gen Zers than it ever was to Xers and boomers, but also that, um, that interpersonal muscle that 
boomers and Xers were able to practice. Like I, I talk about to, to flirt with someone, I had to pick up a phone. I had to get through mom and dad. And then I always had a list of all the things that I would say to the person on the other line. And I Quick usually question. didn't do a great job. Quick yeah. question. Did you have call waiting? Oh, uh, we did have call waiting. And do you right? remember busy signals? Yes. Okay, yes. thank you. And I would dial nonstop until yes. I got through. And yes. Did you have star 69? Yes. Like if somebody yes, called yes. you and you missed it, you're like, I can't stand it. Who was it? Because we didn't have And I didn't ID. even have a cell. I mean, look at, I, I had a beeper in college, right? I didn't get my first cell phone until right after college. And so it, it creates this environment that is so different. And what I really, then if I were to cull it down to the three biggest things, it's opening our interpretation of work flexibility. All right. And, and what I mean by that is, it's not just working from where you want to work. And I am one of the greatest advocates on person. We've got to bring people back together, right? This, this solely hybrid um, working from Zoom all day is not going to work. But I'm also suggesting that that doesn't have to be, it's not that we have to always be back in the office unless it's more of a trade type role that we're filling there. Um, and so I look at, you know, if it's an individual contributor, let's just say it's uh, it's someone that is like a software engineer, let them write their code wherever they want to get in that flow space. But when it's time to tell everyone where it is that you're going from a strategy perspective or sharing what's happening, we got to bring people back together. So it's more of a hive type mentality. And then there's obviously all of the manufacturing and those hourly, hourly uh, employees that you just got to be where you are going to be working, right? And there's so, but what I suggest is I, I tell a story, Casey, about um, there's a company out in California and in speeches, I'll have the audience guess the company, but what they do is on your one year work anniversary, you are allowed to create your own job description with the caveat that if you sell it into everyone else on your team, you can then start doing that job. They have a 99% retention rate. And I'll ask audiences, what company do you think it is? And it's the answers all they're always like, oh, it's uh, probably Uber or you know Facebook or you know one of these tech companies. I go, no, it's Morningstar Tomato Farms in their tomato paste factories. And work flexibility is opening our minds to allowing our employees to choose more of their own adventure. And we all have shifting passions and purpose. And as young people, we don't know necessarily where that is until we're in that organization, which then leads into a lot of times when I dissect the data, allow people to make lateral job moves with, don't make it so difficult for them to do that. Because I mean, I'm a good example. It took five lateral job moves in very different departments before I actually fell into the thing that I really thrived at. Um, and then, you know, the other pieces, so the tactics I talk about, so that's work flexibility, right? And then the other ones are really around leadership. And, and the three most important traits for leaders today through the eyes of millennials and Gen Zers are one, inspirational leadership, two, autonomy, and three, transparency, right? And if you can nail down those three, you will excel. I, that was a lot to dissect, but, you know, and I do want to talk a little bit because the millennials have gotten kind of a bad reputation, right? They're seen as lazy, selfish, disloyal. Um, 
how did they get this reputation and how do we correct this perception of them? Yeah, uh, it's 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 more of what's happened around millennials and within the our workforce, right? And it's for the first time ever, we have two generations, millennials and Gen Zers, that if we don't meet them somewhere on their own terms, they're going to leave and they're going to move in with mom and dad, right? And without a job. And they'll go to the gig economy and, and juggle a handful of things until they figure out the next thing. But, you know, the other side of it is there is a reality to some of these bad reputation pieces, right? That they're needy. I, I have friends that they're like, Chris, like, I, I don't even know what to do anymore because, you, you know, I'm having to give job promotions every six months. They're holding me hostage because they're getting these job offers and then I have to counter it. And it's created this crazy inflation with the salary. And I'm like, listen, because you're throwing money at the wrong things right? Why we are so dependent on those things. That's just a sign that there's not enough rewards and recognition within your infrastructure. So you need a top-down reward, right? And so what are you doing on a quarterly or annual basis to reward people, sometimes monthly? And then a peer-to-peer -peer recognition to fill that bucket and need for that fulfillment. Because what's happened, and I explain this with lots of stories, but this generation, anytime they wanted that, first of all, they they were they got participation trophies at every single turn, mm -hmm. right? And then anytime they wanted that gratification, they posted to social media and they got it. And so how is it we gotta teach them? I will teach, you know, uh, these companies that on their first week sit down with those people on your team and teach them what I call the 70-30 rule. And the 70-30 rule is that 30% of your job is just gonna suck. That is life. 70% should ex get you excited and be in your zone of excellence. And it is my job as your leader to make sure that that stays around the same percentage to each. Now, one of the keys that's gonna happen is that all your friends are full of crap, right? Because they're posting this beautiful, perfect life to Instagram. And when you're out at the bars with them, they're, they're also, saying that they have this glamorous life, whereas in reality, they don't. So the grass is not always greener on the other side. So sit down with your job description and figure out, tell me what is in your 70% zone of awesomeness and then what's in your 30% zone of suck. And what happens with that exercise is that after three days of going through the grind, I mean, for me, it's anything in Excel is in my 30% zone <laughs> same, of suck, right? Same. Numbers, budgeting. And when you go through three days of it, you're just powering through to get to the other side. And so... Those are the things that I help companies kind of wrap their head around and embrace. I really love that. I, I really do. And we are almost out of time here, but I, I want to ask you another question before we get to our VIP questions. And it's surrounding, you know, as a recruiter, I work with people of all ages, right? And so surrounding, do you see age to be a factor in the hiring patterns that you're seeing? I mean, what are the patterns um, for millennials versus boomers? Yeah, I mean, you know, once again, millennials are bouncing around a lot more and, you know, they're using the advantage of um, getting offers from other places to then get a bump in their salary. Mm -hmm. And and really that is indicative of a bad culture. And so you got to clean up your culture. Once you have a great culture, it's up to leadership to I'll say that to, to teams, like I have a, I have a not, uh, I won't negotiate with terrorists. So if you go and get a job offer from another company, I'm going to tell you in that moment, 
that you can leave because I'm not going to counter it, right? When you draw a line in the sand, you avoid any future conflicts there, right? Um, and so a lot of times companies think that culture is great and that it's, you know, somewhere on their website and values. Culture comes from your people. It's about, it's up to leadership to help direct it, but it's really going to come from having amazing people that you as a leader need to bring out of them. And, and that's where I focus a lot of my time and efforts. I love that. Okay. Now we're going to get to the VIP questions. Are you ready? Bring it. Okay. If you were chosen to be one of the first people on Mars, what three things or people would you take with you? I would take, am I allowed to bring my family? You would, family is like, is that one or is that how many are in your family? There's three, two daughters and a wife. I mean, that, that is the center of my kind of universe. So, um, okay, let's make it more fun. Cause that's too, that's too, um, that's too easy. I would take a notebook so I can write down all of my thinking and gratitude journal and do all that stuff. Right. Yep. So that's number one. Um, I would bring music, um, because it's the easiest thing to actually get me into or out, you know, into the right zone. And then I would bring a smell and because up in space, they, first of all, they don't have sp smells and they, we don't focus enough on smells. All right. Huh. And what I do is I actually timestamp my life with smells. And so every month I have a different smell right now. I have vanilla 44 by low labo. And what I'll do after the month is done, I put it up on my memory bank. And I can revisit that time in my life using that smell to bring me back. And one of the most astounding things in this experiment, even when I'm going through really tough times, when I revisit that smell four months later, I'll like yell to my wife, truly, like they're good memories already. Like I actually have good memories of, you know, slogging through the final parts of writing Savior Asks, for example, right? And so that to me... I'm an artist and, and that to me, if I can have those pieces, if I'm especially on my own, which is good, would be interesting unto itself because I'm never alone. Um, <laughs> that's what I would bring. Okay. I have to just add something to that real quick about your whole smell thing. Yeah. We just moved into a new office and it's like a brand new office building. And I swear to God, something's died up in the ceiling. Ha! Yeah. And that, the smell that you got to take care of. So I will always remember that smell and that memory. So, okay. Question number two. What is one thing you do each morning to set your day up for success? So uh, for me, it's naming three things that I'm grateful for as soon as I get out of bed, even if that's tough. And then I got to get moving. And as much as I, and I wake up at 4.45 in the morning and I hate lifting weights and going to the gym. I hate it, <laughs> but I do it. I do it with a trainer because that's the only way I'll do it. And I it's and I do that on Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. Uh, the other days I do something more cardio, but I find that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I get in the flow state much longer, right? And today's one of those days and it was leg day, right? So I'd probably not have near as much energy at this time in the day had I not done that. So it really sets my day up right, but also allows me to have, you know, that adrenaline and momentum yep. going into the day. Plus you're taking care of your health. Yeah. We don't want to do it. Not all of us, but it, it's a necessary evil, right? You got to get that exactly. movement. Got to get the body moving. Okay. So my final question for you, if your life's work was being summarized in a news article, what would the headline be? 
Um, the guy that helped uncover a million dreams. Yeah. Mine can be one of them. Yes. And that's <laughs> that. And that's my purpose. My purpose used to just be to inspire and connect. And I've refined that in the last couple months to um, uh, uncover dreams and passions and be the catalyst. And that's essentially what I do all day, every day. And what gives me the most energy is when I can sit across from someone and do that. I love that. I feel your heart so strong. I really do. How do other people find you so they can feel your heart as well? Yeah. Uh, the best place to go is uh, probably on uh, either Instagram. So that's tough22, T-U-F-F-22. You can go to my website, christuff.me, me. And then uh, hit me up on LinkedIn forward slash Christopher Tuff. I love that. This has been so much fun. And I'm so excited that we managed to arrange a time for you to come to Dallas to speak to us in person. Yes. In December. Yes. So anybody that wants to learn more about that, you can reach out to me or someone on my team. And we will share the details on that because we're really, really excited about that. Um, but for now, I just have one last thing to say to you, Chris. You are a VIP. I appreciate it. And Casey. that's a wrap for today. Join us next week here on the We Are VIP podcast. We'd love to know how we can help you be a VIP. To find out more, log on to wearevip.com. 